In the last week, um, I've heard a number of people say, I'm getting off Facebook for a while. And part of that is um, people are processing what's going on in our nation. And, uh, and some have diarrhea of the keys, so to speak. <laughs> they can't keep quiet, you know. And, and yet the benefit of this social and group conversation is hopefully that it's moving us in positive directions. And uh, I think some of us have read hundreds of pages in the last few weeks just on this topic. And I want to walk through some of the scripture relating to such a thing and then uh, make a few observations. I don't really want to make too many observations till the end because it's easy to marginalize each other and to just check out. Well, they filled that box, I'm gone. And it's really not appropriate, but it's, it's what we do often. So um, the first one I want to look at is Micah 6.8. And we basically, uh, the question's been asked, God says, well, what do I want? He says, I don't care about your animal sacrifices. I don't even want you sacrificing your children. Um, there are days when some of us would be willing to do that, but it, it actually happened in practice years ago, and it wasn't good. But he said, I don't want those things. What I want is you to pursue justice and loving faithfulness and to live obediently before the Lord. So the things that I want as a part of your conscious thought are not so much the, the practice of religion, like in this gathering today, or how we, but he says, I, I really want your hearts into this thing, and I want you pursuing justice, because it's in the heart of God. And the loving faithfulness is a part of who God is. And so when he calls us to these things, and he calls us to obedience, these, these all have positive result if we'll respond. Let's jump over to Ephesians. So if, with that in mind, let's just hold, hang on to that for a while about justice. And to note that the work of Jesus on earth was to bring reconciliation between God and man. There was a, a dividing wall of hostility. But then he also said there was a dividing wall of hostility within the people groups. That uh, between Jew and Gentile, there was a great divide, a despising of each other, and a, a contrast of culture, and a, a difference, uh, way of seeing things that the two just didn't interact, didn't delight in each other. There was, there was no true relationship, and yet in Christ, we begin to find that is, he broke down the wall of hostility. His goal was to make one body. Out of both groups, it says, it says, he did this to create one new man out of two, thus making peace, and reconcile both of them in one body to God. So in other words, when there's a, a wall of hostility between peoples, that is not God's special intent. And his goal is to have groups come together and define themselves as one entity in the Lord. So we become brothers and sisters, no matter how different our lifestyles might be, 
no different how our upbringing might be, no different how our views of politics might be. There's something that's preeminent over that. And that has to do with our relationship to the Father. It says, He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, so that through Him we both have access in the Spirit to the Father. You're no longer foreigners or non-citizens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're not outsiders. You're not of those who don't belong. You're not of those who don't have the rights. You are now participant in one citizenship, one body, members of God's household. So in other words, you become family. Let's look at that and, and acknowledge that what keeps things rolling and what is to be the defining part of our values and behavior is love for others. Now that's first stated in the book of Leviticus when, uh, when Moses is writing out the law, he's making a declaration, vengeance isn't God's highest goal. Vengeance, getting back at others for what the wrong that they've done. Now, he lays out what needed to be done in fairness. But revenge was not a part of the thinking and just paying back double for what, whatever had been done to you. He says, I'm the Lord. And he says, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, he says, the second is like, and, and Jesus then takes us back when asked about the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he adds the second is loving your neighbor as yourself. Paul picks this up in Galatians. He says, the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Or if you, if you continue to bite and devour one another, beware that you're not consumed by one another. Years ago in our household, Shar and I had gone out for a, a few hours and we left the kids at home. And uh, we came back and there was a broken door. And it turned out that uh, there had been a, a disagreement in the household. And uh, the one fleet of foot ran and the one chasing didn't get there quite fast enough. And so the first one slammed the door and the second one stuck their foot through it. Well, by the time we got home, they had come together in agreement how to deal with mom and dad. There was, there was peace in the household at that moment, but we're still left of the broken door. That's how it is when we, we force revenge on things. You can imagine how God thinks of things when he's looking at his creation and he's recognizing, well, they may be in agreement in this moment, but I still have a busted door. Or I have broken people, or I have hurts that they're taking on themselves that are going to affect them for years. And even though there may become a measure of peace in the moment, it, it, he's, he has bigger goals for us. So beware that you don't devour one another. You'll be consumed in it. Um, James talks of it as the royal law. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You're not to show prejudice. If you do, you're, you're, you're committing sin. 
I want to go back to Matthew. Matthew and Luke uh, contain both this account of what Jesus' words were, and some adds a little bit here and there, so I'll bounce back and forth. But it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. By the standard that you judge, you will be judged. The measure you use will be measured. That's what you'll receive. There are times when, when we come to the Lord and, and we're going, how can you forgive me again? You know, how? I knew better. I knew this was inappropriate. I walked into it out of my own selfishness. How, how can you accept this? And yet, if we become forgiving people, it becomes easier and easier to embrace the forgiveness of God in that moment as well. If we learn how to release others, then also we can know that we're released. And it becomes a beautiful experience. Jesus had made the comment to those that are forgiven much, they love much. You know, why is that? Because they understand the, the magnitude of what he's done. And so it's a, it is a very good practice that on a daily basis to just release and acknowledge, I need release myself. In uh, Luke's account, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. And Barnes, in his commentaries, talks about this type of judgment. He calls it rash, censorious, and unjust judgment. That's the judgment Jesus is talking about, the one that censors others and makes prejudicial judgments. But he says, Given it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. The measure you use, we measure, that's the measure you'll receive. And we all like the idea of that thing of bounty. We like the idea of generosity being poured into our lives. And what we're being called to is a generosity toward others as well. He goes on in that same passage and he addresses something very significant. And he says, um, when you see a speck in somebody else's eye, be sure you take the beam out of your own eye first. What's... What's the idea with that? There's a tendency in all of us as humans to project our flaws onto others. There's a tendency to take the things that we're doing poorly or evilly and blame others with that same thing. Um, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, I had experience with that recently, and I could not believe it in that moment when I'm, I'm hearing that small voice and saying, this is you. And I go, no, no, it's them. No, it's you. You see their issues. And, and yet it, it kept coming back until finally I had to address that wickedness, you know, and just acknowledge, yes, it's me. And then it's like, but I don't want to change. Because, you know, and it's, well, then, then we're getting into the core issues, right? And, and yet what we are being called to is to not just put others' flaws on the table without being willing to look at our own. It says, you hypocrites, first remove the beam from your own eye. Then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It doesn't say that you never confront, 
but there's an appropriate time frame. He goes on, do not give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearls before pigs. And the idea of this is that there is, he is not saying there is never time to address an ill. There is, there, he's not saying that there is no conclusions that you should come to, but he's trying to put it in the proper order in a proper perspective. He say you've got to deal with your own issues before you try to take on other stuff. And, and so even in this, he's saying, you know, there are, there's hindrances for declaring things at the wrong moment. Proverbs uh, put it this way, whoever corrects a mocker is asking for insult. Whoever reproves a wicked person receives abuse. So not everybody's going to be delighted to hear your eloquence about their ills. Believe it or not. There's enough wickedness in each heart to get offended. But it says, the wise person will love you. The end result is a favorable conclusion. Here's a verse that I think applies as well. It says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And in that, there has to be a thirst in our hearts that says, I want to know what's right. I want to know what's appropriate. I want to know what God has said regarding this. I want to know what he says in my heart regarding this. Where that comes into difficulty is that at times we don't necessarily want to hear what the truth is. I want to walk through a, things, a few things that I think are inconvenient truths. Some studies that have been done are very revealing about temperament and personality and even prejudices. There was an experiment called the Dahl experiment done in the 40s for the first time by a couple named Clark. It was used in the, the Brown versus Topeka case in the 50s. It was repeated as an experiment um, by CNN in about 2009, and then their program came out in 2010. But what it did was it took a, a black baby and a white baby doll, baby dolls, dressed them exactly the same, and then asked children who were in that four to five age range, which is the pretty baby? Which is the ugly baby? Which is the good baby? Which is the bad baby? And through that, it was obvious that already cultural understanding had come in such a way that generally they were picking out the black baby is bad and the white baby is good, the white baby is pretty, the black baby is ugly. This happened with whites and blacks. That's a sobering insight. That's something that we have to grapple with and say, is there an implicit prejudice? You know, that's below the surface, unintentional. But is that a part of our lives that we haven't dug deep enough to evaluate and see. There's another thing that was done as an experiment at Stanford. It was called the Stanford Prison Experiment, done by a man named Philip Zimbardo. 
um, done in about the 1970. What he did is sent out an advertisement asking for a group of people to volunteer for a prison experiment. And uh, through that, gave a batch of young people that were uh, entering college, broke them up randomly between groups. Some were prisoners, some were guards. The result was that within days, the guards were taking advantage and authoritarian approaches to prisoners, and prisoners were yielding to that kind of treatment, seeing themselves as deficient. Now, that study was, they attempted to duplicate it in Britain. It didn't work out quite the same. They came back and said, well, maybe it was because there was such a strong authoritarian figure through this Zimbardo as the supervisor of the prison. Nevertheless, it said that people can step into wicked forms of authority and even subservience within days. And so the challenge, again, is what in some forms is systemic racialism. And when we see that, there's a, something in our hearts that needs to speak to justice in those issues. I'll give you one other thing. Some of you are familiar with the term democide. A man named Rummel, um, through the 80s in particular, he was the one that, that did this study, and, and uh, he started counting the number of people that had been put to death by their own government through the 1900s, for, so for a full century. So these were, were governments put to death innocent individuals. He came up with a number that uh, is astounding. He said that that had happened in over 200 million cases, over 140 million in communist governments. You know, part of the reason that some of us are very nervous about the term socialism and Marxism and communism has to do with what's happened in governments that have claimed those identities in the past. Um, that said, those numbers are staggering. And it says that there is a evil that often creeps up in government. And, and so oftentimes in the political spectrum, we come up with different answers. Some will say that's an absolute reason for less government and more freedom. Others will say that's an absolute reason for government to be restructured and redeveloped and more government so that it doesn't happen, right? Both are seeking conclusions when they see an evil coming out of government. And so the challenge in us is to say, God, what do you want? How do you want us to approach this? Or maybe even to have enough room in our hearts to say, I don't have the same answers that you have, but I can still respect you in the Lord and know that we are still brothers and sisters. It's a challenge. I might think you're wrong. <laughs> I might tell you so. Talk to me in private. <laughs> you can tell me your opinion too. I'll try to fix it. No, 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 no. 
The challenge when we look at government is that it is created to serve people, but often it ends up being served. And when we see that happening, we need to declare that as inappropriate. There are times when uh, it, it seeks to start out to improve through the law, those laws actually debilitate. You know, there's a, there's a lot written in regard to what uh, social assistance has done in actually harming our society. And, and if you start down that path of reading, you're kind of going, but the intent was good, yet the result was poor. The challenge is to recognize that when it happens and to say, this needs to be righted, this needs to be turned, and, and finding real solutions, not things that, that are uh, debilitating. The other thing in regard to government is that without God, people's hearts just aren't pure enough to run it well forever and ever. It just does not happen. That only in the Lord is there a capability of a heart being transformed that actually cares enough for someone else to help boost them and give of what you have completely. Our leader in Christ did that. But when we are looking at scriptures like um, what Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, there's a recognition that there's an ongoing battle that is more than what is seen in government. There is a, a, a bigger issue that often gets ignored. And when that's done, things don't work out. It just can't. Let's look at justice. Injustice is part of a fallen world. That's the reality. It happens all around us. But battling injustice has seen and unseen dynamics. But those are things that, that we need to be pursuing, particularly as Christians. Christ continues to be our only hope. We seek justice for all. Tony Dungy had written an article that I read this week, and he, uh, he used a verse that I thought was very appropriate for the day. He says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the goal that we set before us. Lord, help us. We must pursue and cherish peace and truth. We must seek the benefit of all people and the unity of all believers. We, justice will acknowledge wrong, seek forgiveness when wrong, refuse revenge, and remain open to reconciliation when wronged. That's our goal in the Lord.